welcome to the Top Order Podcast, Cricketing Hall of Fame time. If this was an episode of Friends, it'd be the one where the Top Order Podcast fall out. We're going to talk about five great cricketers counting down 15 to 11. If we're talking at the end of it, I'll be very, very surprised. All coming up on the Top Order Podcast. Stay tuned. Well, I'm going to move to first names. Michael. We are going to be discussing 15 through 11 here. We really are getting to the business end of the Cricketing Hall of Fame. I don't want to give too much away, but we're going to talk five cricketers, four seam bowlers and one batsman. I don't think there'll be too many disagreements around uh, the batsman being this high up the list or any of the bowlers, in fact. But the order is going to be all important. You've kept this a secret from um, the majority of us through the course of um, the week, but you know the order. Mm. Where are we going? Number 15 in the Top Order Podcast Hall of Fame. Right. Well, we better have a good episode, fellas, because this could be the last one we have, <laughs> judging on the order and the intro. Let's go to England, first of all. And we've got James Anderson at 15 on the list. And I might preface this six minutes that we're about to put on the clock by saying this is the 11, the best 11 cricketers of all time that aren't on the Mount Rushmore, the top four. So we're 15 through 11. Let's start with James Anderson. Live update on his stats. 174 tests and counting. 664 wickets. That's just too short of the number of the beast. At an average of 26.26 and a strike rate of 56.2. So over the course of his, what, 20-year career, he's had three good years, 11 excellent years and one outstanding year. So 12 seasons out of... 20 or 12 calendar years out of 20, he's kind of been better than 25 average, 55 strike rate, but he kind of hovers around that 26 average, 55 strike rate for the for the majority of his career. I mean, this is all about, this is a longevity story, right? No one has been at the peak of test cricket for as long as James Anderson has. No one has bowled fast for as long as James Anderson has. No one has been at the top of their game for as long as James Anderson has. The only guy who's really got got close is Courtney Walsh. Um, And so for me, the thing that I think about first when I think about James Anderson is he is probably one of very few cricketers, if, if any cricketers, maybe one other that I can think of, that has kept his body intact long enough so that it can catch up to what his mind can do. I mean, James Anderson has probably got one of the great cricket brains that we've ever seen over the course of our certainly our lifetimes and perhaps ever and I think what's truly remarkable is that he's been able to maintain his body and keep so fit and so ready for cricket that he's been able to adapt and and hone his game to match his mental strength which I think is his greatest attribute. Look, I, I want to jump in here because I know Binksy will obviously have a lot of things to say about Anderson and, and I guess I want to hear I, I want to be convinced because actually as much as the longevity we, from, when I think about this list I, I get to the point where once I've taken 300 wickets it's not necessarily about longevity for me it's about who who I would pick in my 11 and actually when I look at this uh, these bowlers that we've talked about I would actually have Walker I would have Wazim I would have Ambrose I would have Stain all the bowlers that we've talked about recently I would pick them ahead of Anderson that might not be the case for for you, Binksy, and, and I guess I want to know why. Like, when you look at the stats, when you look at all of those kind of things, the only reason Anderson is here is because of that longevity, because his average doesn't stack up to those guys. His his strike rate doesn't stack up to those guys. When you look at around all around the world, it doesn't stack up to those guys. But 
I'm not trying to diminish the fact that it's unbelievable to play this many test matches as a first, uh, as a you know fast bowler. So I just want you to give me your couple of minutes spiel because I guess that's all we've got on why you think he deserves to be this high, if that's true at all. Maybe you'll you'll uh, totally go against the grain and say that uh, and, and agree with me, but I, I can't see that happening. Yeah, so first and foremost, I think it's absolutely and utterly disrespectful to talk about it in the terms of this is just a longevity story um, about James Anderson. Um, for a guy that's played 174 test matches, yes, that's a definition of longevity. He's taken 664 wickets. He's earned the right to do that. Um, so just to talk about longevity is horseshit. I've stuck up for uh, Shane Bond as someone who didn't have longevity in his career, but had statistics that if his career had been able to extrapolate in the way that James Anderson's body has allowed his um, statistics to extrapolate, then uh, you know I would put him in that conversation with Wackars and Wasms because of his quality as a bowler. Um, I also, you know, I don't necessarily want to go into the stats because you can kind of make them talk to, to anything you want. But I'm pretty sure, and I'm looking at a list of his career year by year, if we picked a point in his career, let's say 2014 as the start of his career and went through the last eight years of his career, at averages of 22, 23, 17, 21, 20, 20, and has taken over 250 test wickets in that period. If we isolated that as a career of a test player, he'd be in the Hall of Fame and he'd arguably be higher um, because of what he's learned through that um, through that longevity. He's also, we're going to come on to talk about other fast bowlers, um, he's certainly got a higher test uh, top score as one of them as well. So uh, we'll throw that in there. <laughs> so but, it's, a good, it's a good point. Um, but look, I, I absolutely think that, you know, this guy is one of the most skillful um, bowlers of all time. Um, and look, you know, averages, you know, is just one part of that equation. Yeah, I mean, if you want to have a look at at overall excellence, if you want to talk about total excellence, he has 12 series, 12 calendar years where he had an excellent or better year. Very, very few fast bowlers can match that overall total excellence. There are bowlers that have had, to your point, maybe more excellent or outstanding years by themselves, but no one has really matched that total career excellence that Jimmy Anderson has. So it's almost like that kind of multiplier of longevity times, you know, excellent to outstanding over over a long, long period of time. And super interesting as well, his strike rate in 2022 is almost his best strike rate of any year. There's only got, I think, one year where he's better than that. Just as a segue to our next person... Hopefully, and I'm not sure what the order is. I'm hoping it's one of the other bowlers. But I'm happy Binksy brought up the uh, the last half of his career because it's actually been quite outstanding. He's mm. gotten better with age. Is, is there anything uh, like the Rabada, like the Cummins kind of discretion you've used where he could go on for another three years? Has mm. there been any sort of, uh, what's it called, future... Projections. Projections. For, for, for James Anderson, I think it's possible that he might go up another couple of places. If he gets to 700... Like that's that's un that's unheard of, right? In fact, six hundred is unheard of for a fast bowler. We never thought we'd get there. I never thought I would see one hundred and seventy four tests next to anybody's name, let alone a fast bowler. So that's why he is is as high as he is. When we get to talk about these other three fast bowlers on this list, we're talking about people who shade him just in terms of their overall um, statistical view. But you have to you have to factor in that total excellence over a long period of time and that's why we have him in the top 15 and in the 11. 
Well, Baldy, let, let's um, yeah, let's move on. That's gone the way I actually would have expected it yeah, um, to go. Pretty to, much, to be perfectly honest. But that's uh, that's fine. No surprise that we'll probably see a couple of Australians a little bit higher up this list. Um, but who's next? <laughs> who's at fourteen? Well, this is this is the continuation of the of the great debate and the great falling out of twenty twenty two. Let's go to Australia and let's talk about Glenn McGrath. One hundred and twenty four matches, five hundred and sixty three wickets at twenty one point six four strike rate of fifty one point nine five twenty nine five wicket hauls over. 15-year career, same level of total excellence as Jimmy Anderson, five excellent and six outstanding years over that 15-year career. The thing that I want to highlight for our listeners, five wicket uh, hauls, 29th, that's fifth all-time, and his ARP, or his average above, or in this case for fast bowlers, below replacement player, um, 9.45, which is fourth all-time. So if you factor in the quality of the batters in that era and the quality of the peers that he played against uh, McGrath has got the fourth best average uh, all time in terms of that that bowling average above replacement player look we're going to get into a bit of a debate here who was a more complete bowler who would you rather have in your team who would you rather have at their peak you know we'll probably all disagree around this table the reason that I have McGrath ahead of James Anderson is that statistical excellence up and down all conditions um, even though Anderson has a longer test career, even though he has a slightly higher total excellence. McGrath has just shaded him. If you have a look at all the different conditions that they both played in, McGrath shades him by average and by strike rate across all of those conditions. So he gets the nod just, even though now Jimmy Anderson has 100 more test wickets than McGrath. I mean, who would have thought we'd be here saying that? Well, I wanted to steer away from a little, away a little bit from the stats, I guess. I guess my memories of Glenn McGrath, he is definitely the first person where I recognised white line fever. If you if oh, you yeah. listen to him talking in interviews off the field, he is the most calm, placid guy ever. And then you see some of the abuse he hurls <laughs> out when he is bowling and someone's just put him away for four. But he obviously learned to bat as well. He's a great bowler. He can bat. That, that 60, he's... Oh, please, that, don't talk about no, it. No, I'm going to talk about it because I remember I watched that game. Yeah, we... We took that ninth wicket, and I'm like, "Oh, good, we'll be, you know, we'll be, we'll be batting soon." Uh, and then, hundred runs later, him and Gillespie put on that, and Gillespie was doing that bloody horse dance. Yes, we, the I, I, I honestly anyway, don't know why we're talking about this. I, I, th- I think that he is a that. Those are the things that I remember about him. Can I just jumping on top of that? Can I add that my favorite Glenn McGraw? Uh, Glenn McGraw is someone sports hate. You know, totally, he's right up there in the top. Just because he was so good, and Australia was so good in that era. I, one of the notes I put down, in his test career, 84 wins, 20 losses, 20 draws. That I mean, that's unbelievable. We're going to get to someone on this list who has an even better record than that. But, you know, the the McGrath, them winning all the time made him a really frustrating person for me. But the most exciting part about McGrath was when someone hit him for four, when he didn't get a dismissal, or someone dropped a catch, he'd stand there and he'd sometimes he'd put his hands on his hips. Oh, the double, he'd the, always shake his head. The double just teapot. shake his head really fast. <laughs> and it would it was my, yeah, just fantastic, fantastic moment when you got that from McGrath. So do you reckon Glenn McGrath, I've got here on my piece of paper, I feel like he was the one who held that bowling attack together. They had some great bowlers, some fast bowlers, mm-hmm. but he was always the one constant and he sort of held that attack together. Yeah, my, my, my first t- talking point when, it, when I was thinking about McGrath he's the perfect right time right place right style guy for that Australian attack I mean you had uh, swing bowlers in that Australian attack I think of Jason Gillespie a little bit as a kind of a swing bowler you've got out and out pace bowlers in Brett Lee and the perfect attacking spin bowler in Shane Warne if you wanted to put the best complementary fast bowling piece around that would be a guy who can keep the ball tight 
bowl channel, nibble the ball off the seam a little bit and generally keep the batsman honest and thinking about how they're going to score or how they're going to release the pressure at the other end. And that's where Brett Lee and Jason Gillespie and Shane Warne were able to do their thing and attack. McGrath picked up wickets because he did two things beautifully well, as well as anyone that we've ever seen. One, give the batsman no option to score. And two, move the ball half a bat width. You know, he didn't move the ball a bat width and a half and beat guys and look pretty doing it. He moved the ball half a bat width from the middle of the bat to the outside edge of the bat, and he had a reasonable slip cordon uh, there to pouch the pouch the edges. So, for me, that was that. Were, those were the things that I thought about when I thought about McGrath. But this is a this is a, a toss up. Who you want between Anderson McGrath? What you value best, and and maybe even what nation you're from. I'll say it now. I'm biased towards Glenn McGrath as an Australian. I can't help it. It's it's how I'm programmed, and I'm sure I'm sure if we're all honest with each other, we all have our own internal biases before you know for players that we like or or dislike or whatever. How did you view McGrath, Binksy? Because I, I mean, yeah, I just said always kind of someone I you know sports hated because of the Australia New Zealand thing, but I mean I'm sure you know the Ashes is like the biggest Test series going around, and he was he was involved in that many many times. Yeah, so I think he's a, an arch nemesis of, of England. And, uh, you know, you go back to that 2005 Ashes. I remember vividly watching the warm-up to that um, that test match where he slipped on a cricket ball. And you cheered more than you did when, you know, that he was out of the team than, um, than any selection that would have been made throughout the course of that series because you knew how impactful he would be. I, I, I don't necessarily want to talk about it as a comparison. For, for me, he was a little bit more one-dimensional as, as a cricketer. Um, I think, you know, someone like James Anderson and a couple of the players that we'll come on to talk about probably evolved their skill levels more. And I think the fact that McGrath played with, as Baldy mentioned, a fantastic, you know, swing pitch-up swing bowler in, uh, in Jason Gillespie and out-and-out speeds to like um, Brett Lee, Mike Kaspervich was in that team around that time, Andy Bickle. He had some kind of foils from a uh, from a pace bowling perspective so I, I just wonder whether or not he had to evolve that that skill level but in terms of being a line bowler uh, uh, an 83 84 mile an hour back of a length and um, literally just be relentless I'm sure Mike Atherton for one still wakes up in cold sweats if um, you know that he's sort of uh, uh, fending off and nicking yet another one to the cordon yeah, it's it's not quite um, you know when you you think about all the highlights of uh, or certainly at least one of these these bowlers that we're going to talk about coming up. But it's not like you know I tried to well you know I didn't try that hard to watch him a highlights package, but I watched uh, you know him his, his eight for I watched the first one Imran Farhat left the ball hit him on the pads and I went oh uh, no thanks I'll go back to one of the other guys that I'm watching. But I mean like, I don't know Baldy. You know, do you, is there excitement there when you're watching McGraw? You're just like, this is just fantastic because we're doing so well. Nah, it's surgical. You know, it's it's like I said, he, he nicks the ball off the seam half a bat width and, and nicks you off. You know, he's not the most intimidating bowler that we've ever seen. He, uh, to your point, Adam, he's not the, probably the most skillful swing bowler that we've ever seen. He didn't have a great deal of reverse, but the, he got the most out of the skills that he had and the physical attributes that he had. I would say, just to finish, I would say there's an incredible amount of skill being able to come in and do that non-stop, non-stop. Yeah, but, that's you know, a good point. I was thinking the other day about, you know, these guys... How amazing is cricket in that, you know, these guys train for 20 years and they still come in and bowl long hops sometimes and that just gets smashed to the fence. McGrath just didn't do that. He bowled accurate, accurate every single ball and there's a huge amount of skill in that. Yep. Baldy, let's, uh, let's move on. Where are we going to go uh, next? We've got representation from Australia. 
New Zealand. Mm-hmm. Can you believe it? On yeah, the podcast. Um, and the West Indies. But where are we off to next? Let's go to the West Indies. Let's talk about one of my favourite fast bowlers ever. We'll talk about <laughs> Malcolm Marshall. 81 test matches, 376 wickets at an average of 20.95. Strike rate, 46.7. 22 fifers in 81 matches. That's better than a five for every four tests. 13 years, 11... Uh, sorry, one good. One good year. One excellent year. Seven outstanding years. Seven years averaging below 20 or striking at below 45. Just an incredible, incredible career. Look, guys, the aliens are coming, okay? The aliens are coming. We're not alone in the universe. We have to put an 11 together to face the aliens. They have no idea what cricket is, but they've bought the most physical specimens from the alien land that they they can possibly muster. This guy is my first pick in my fast bowling attack to intimidate and dismiss the aliens. He, Why is he not ahead of the next guy then without we'll giving away the that. next guy? Well, we'll, we'll, we'll and, talk and, about and there's, a, you know, there's another seamer even even not on this list that we're going to talk about. So, yeah, what, why is he, Why have you kind of got him this, this far down, I suppose? He, this far down? Well, if he's the, if he's the best seam bowler of all pick. time. He, he, is, he is my first pick to, to face the aliens. Why? You can pick three. Yeah, I can pick three, and I will. I will. It's okay. Everyone can calm down. It's okay. Look, I would, I, I would say that the aliens would least likely want to face Malcolm Marshall. Even though McGrath and Anderson might be 99.99997% as effective at getting the aliens out, I think the aliens would least likely want to face Malcolm Marshall. Case in point, bowling to David Boone. Now, David... Are you going to get out now, or do I have to come around the wicket and kill you? <laughs> was he from Afghanistan? I look, I, 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 apo- I, look I apologize. I apologize for the accidental uh, accent slip there. I got that wrong. The, my point is that my point is he is the guy that I think any of us, any batsman that you that you think about, any batter that you think about in world cricket that has faced any of those guys would least like to want to face Malcolm Marshall. And when you go and have a look at the ICC Cricket Hall of Fame, to your point, Stuart, and you have a look at the comments made by players of that era, batter and bowler alike, they all say that this guy was the best that they'd ever seen. You know, Space Jam storylines aside, <laughs> I think all, all you need to do if you need to you know, weigh this up and understand it is do the eye test and actually go and watch some of the bowling of Malcolm Marshall. It, was absol- it would be horrendous horrendous to face especially with the you know the, the different padding and stuff that they had no grill open grills back then uh, would have been would have been horrible but yeah no i'm i'm i'll stand right behind you there baldy and you uh, can be in our space well, can so. i stand right behind you because that means <laughs> i'm not standing in front of malcolm marshall uh, just a couple of things to touch on bowling average is fourth all time 20.94 average above replacement player we talked about mcgrath's being nine and a half his is 10.08 mm-hmm. so it's another half a percent a half a point again um, and the only reason that he's not sort of top 20 in 10ers and 5ers is that he had such a good bowling attack around him in the West Indies. Hard to take lots and lots of big bags of wickets. Where's the um, strike rate? Uh, strike rate is eighth all time, 46.7. Binksy, Binksy, how does he... Was he someone that you kind of knew of from county cricket? Because sort of in the um, stats when I was looking things up, seems like he... You know, he he'd kind of burst onto the scene in the West Indies, but still couldn't make the West Indies side for the first couple of years. I think they said that they took him to the 1979 World Cup, and it took him till 1982 to actually break into the West Indies side. And that was after he took 134 wickets in a county season, which yeah. I, I don't I, I don't even know how that can happen. But I mean, yeah, he was he someone that was like, okay, this is this is the legend of Malcolm Marshall. 
Yeah, so look, my, my first memories of him are probably sort of early 90s for the West Indies, but um, my dad played down in Southampton and um, played uh, for, for Hampshire for a period of time and used to go to the club occasionally and you, you'd talk to some of the players um, there that played with him and, and they talked about him as being the most complete fast bowler. We've talked about it. He bowl, you know, he could bowl an in-swinger, an out-swinger. He could hit you on the head with a flat bouncer. He could bowl you a really, really quick loop, you know, a loopy bouncer to set you up for the flat bouncer. <laughs> um, let's just look at that first-class record as well. 408 games of first-class cricket mm. and took... Um, 1,651 Jeez. wickets. So, uh, look, the only question I've really got, for me, I, I agree he'd be my first seamer because he, he is that complete, skillful package and bowling with that West Indian quartet of fast bowlers. And, you know, you had to almost fight for your wickets. I, I can only imagine that, you know, Baldy must have taken some RAM out of his computer when he was in the <laughs> algorithm for, for Marshall and, and it's gone on the fritz. Yeah, it, it, yeah he's, he's, the, he's the complete package for me. Can we just pick up on just a little quick first-class point there? 11,000 first-class runs at 24.8, seven first-class hundreds. Like, that's that's surprising. Like I didn't. I looked at his record and I went, we oh, actually. We can call an audible on this order if you're on board. <laughs> yeah. I'm tempted, I'm tempted, guy. I'm tempted, but I'm going to upset all the New Zealand fans in the podcast and then we have no listeners left. So let's let's move on. Oh, let, let's not quite move on. The, no? I, I saw um, the, one of the and other cool things that I saw at Marshall is that he took seven for while he had a broken thumb. He, pl- he broke his thumb fielding, took, then uh, came on, strapped his hand up, but it was his left hand, fortunately, bowled with the, the uh, you know, just bowled as normal, took seven for against England, co- including a caught and bowled that was hit back at him. I, you know, watched the footage, re- reasonable catch, caught and bowled, and then batted with one hand and scored a whole bunch of runs. It just it, The story of Malcolm Marshall is just unbelievable. And, and you know, sadly, it, it ended when he was in his early 40s, mm. died of cancer. So, yeah, I mean, if you ha- anyone who's listening and who's not watched footage, yeah, you only have to go to the top few few uh, packages. I said I didn't watch Glenn McGrath. It's basically because I saw McGrath and I was like, okay, this is wasting my time. It's time to go back to Marshall, Marshall footage and just watch him for, for another hour. Yeah, fair enough. So let's uh, move on. We're going to New Zealand. A famous um, all-rounder makes it into um, the top uh, top eleven cricketers. So Gavin Larson, come on down. <laughs> exactly. We'd like to uh, uh, we'd like to introduce uh, Ewan Chatfield uh, to the Top Order Podcast Hall of Fame. Now, of course, we're talking about uh, his uh, sparring partner, actually, Sir Richard Hadley. Eighty-six tests for New Zealand, three hundred and forty-two first-class games. But in those eighty-six tests, four hundred and thirty-one wickets at twenty-two point three, strike rate of fifty point eight five. So very comparable in terms of strike rate and average to the great Malcolm Marshall. Also, three thousand one hundred twenty-four test runs at a batting average of twenty-seven point one six, and. 200s top score of 151, 36 fivefers. I think he had nine tenfers as well for New Zealand. 17-year career, one good, seven excellent, six outstanding. So over a over a 17-year career, 13 of those 17 were excellent or better. Look, you hit the nail on the head, Adam, and, and you've introduced it perfectly. Sir Richard Hadley is an all-rounder, you know. Malcolm Marshall might be the greatest modern fast bowler that we've ever seen. But Sir Richard Hadley is above him on the list because he adds another string to his bow. He adds a plus, what's that, plus five, plus minus, because of his uh, his 27.16 batting average for a team that required him to do a hell of a lot more and be a hell of a lot more impactful 
with bat and ball than the West Indies team. I mean, so Richard Hadley, to be fair to you and Chatfield and all the other fast bowlers that played alongside him during his career, so Richard Hadley pretty much did it all by himself. Am I fair? Uh, yeah, look, I, I I think the point about Hadley is that Hadley, the Hadley story, I suppose, when I think about things, is that he turned us into a side that could start winning. Because when before Richard Hadley came along, we'd won seven tests in our whole whole history. You know, Australia wouldn't even play against us. With Richard Hadley in the side, you know, 86 tests, he won 22 of them. You know, like, that's not an, a remarkable number, 22 wins from 86 tests. But when you consider that, you know, for the, the whole history before that, they'd won seven. He, you know, he he was in the first team that beat Australia, beat Australia for the first time. Beat Australia in a series for the first time in that 85, 86 series where he just dominated the whole series. Beat England for the first time, you know. He, he started us into being a, a respectable cricket nation and, you know, coming, you know, I, I really think that that's the... The most important part, and I know a lot of people will say, yes, the, there was, you know, what is it, the, the Ilford 11 at the other, Ilford 3rd 11 or something at the other end, and that quote is, is regularly said. I think that is being a little harsh on the fact the that... The Ilford 2nd 11, they're very good. <laughs> <laughs> well, more more actually around the, the kind of players that were coming up for New Zealand, you know, the Crows were, were coming up, we had Turner, we had Howarth, we had some, you know, we were building a side then at that point, but... Yeah, Richard, you know, Richard Hadley, I guess, changed New Zealand cricket, and I think that's why he's so significant. Yeah, I'll be succinct before handing over to, to Binksy. I, I guess Hadley was, uh, before before my time, he was retiring just when I was born, but and I didn't I didn't see him live, I didn't experience what was going on, but I, I think about two things with Richard Hadley. When I first did the eye test, I was like, he's a lot faster than you think, yeah, especially doors. when he was young, he was very, very quick. But also, I think about our recent attack and how we've been so dominant now, how I feel they've been so dominant. But there's just absolute daylight between his numbers and those three seamers who I'm talking about currently's numbers. I know that they're playing together or whatever, but then you add in the batting numbers. Mm. I just think there's absolute daylight, and that's how he, why he is so high on a pedestal in New Zealand cricket. Yeah, I just want to pick up on those numbers before we jump over to Binksy. 431 wickets, 11th. Bowling average 22.29, 13th. Strike rate is 14th. 10 fizz is 3rd. 5 fizz is 3rd. 10 wicket rate uh, per 100 innings, 8th. 5 wicket rate is 5th. And AARP is 8th. All his stats, every single statistical category that we measured is top 15 of any bowler. So there's no, he did this well but not that well. He did that well but not this well. You have a look at those 10 fizz and 5 fizz, only 86 matches. So what's that? Two-thirds of the matches that McGrath played, you know, Half the games that half Anderson games played, played yeah. and, and he's and he's right up there with those elite, elite bowlers playing half of those games. So, you know, Richard Hadley, whichever way you slice these numbers, whether it's by total numbers or by average, he's top 15 wherever, wherever you want to look. The thing that surprised me when I started to look at, at Hadley was I remember him. But when I now look at the numbers, I, I can't have remembered him because, like, like Ryan said, he played his last test in 1990. Mm. I'd have been 11 and my first real memories of watching Test cricket are probably uh, 92, uh, sort of 91-92 England-West Indies. So it's actually that he's transcended that from the highlights that you might have seen in rain breaks, um, his you know county career that he had with Nottinghamshire for a period of time. Um, and, and I think, you know, when I think about it, it's him and Martin Crow that really are the, you know, the first two New Zealand cricketers that, that I remember. I do want to ask a provocative question, though, because Baldy has mentioned this, you know, an all-rounder. 
we talked about some great all-rounders. And I know the purpose of this Hall of Fame isn't to get to an 11, a playing 11. Um, but if you're picking your all-rounder in your playing 11 to take on the Martians, to, to extend Baldy's ludicrous suggestion that that's ever going to happen, <laughs> um, it w- would Hadley be the all-rounder that you would pick out of the players that we've spoken about or perhaps um, a couple that are coming up um, later on, on the list? Well, uh, yeah, I think the, the couple that I know that are coming up later on on the list, uh, I would say they're batting all-rounders, whereas, you know, I think that's the tricky part about, well, I mean, look, we're, we're, we're trying to attempt to put a list of 100 cricketers together. It's all pretty tricky, and you're kind of not comparing apples with apples. But, yeah, I, look, Hadley, I, I think the big thing about Hadley is, is all the things that we've said. I mean, he's just had such an, an impact in, in the game, and I, I actually think that sort of transcends the 11 and stuff. And, and he was someone who he searched for perfection. Like, th- that was actually his daily goal. I'm going to try and be perfect today. And, you know, you think about the family side of things. He came from, you know, Walter, who was a, a key part of New Zealand's cricketing history before that. Dale, you know, his, his whole sort of family, He, you know, I don't know. I could talk for hours about Richard Hadley because... No he, link to Rickerton in here, is there? No, 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 no link to Rickerton. But, you know, he, he would be in the garage you know, training with his, he'd put his dad's pads on his dad's hat and just go and hit a ball and then start raising his bat. He'd go, he'd go back up to the, um, his bedroom, start writing, you know, picking scorecards and writing his own name down and commentating games. And, you know, his parents were actually listening in the hallway outside. Little did he know, but you know, his, his whole life was about trying to be a perfect cricketer. And, and that even goes with the fact that he was, uh, all the stuff that happened with his short run-up, right? You know, Raj, you mentioned it. He was a absolutely quick bowler when he first came onto the scene and actually uh, at knots, hurt his ankle, came in in the last game, bowled off a short run-up, took six for 12, and I think the knots chairman said to him, look, mate, just come back next year and you bowl off two paces. And, you know, he didn't come back and bowl off two paces, but he shortened his run-up significantly and just became a master of putting it in the right spot. Yeah, look, I've, I've taken up too much time, but... Hadley, absolute legend, deserves to spot here. Baldy, we're back to Australia for the next one on the list. And um, before you get all defensive, I can agree with this one. I agree, I agree. I can agree I with agree. this one. Who have we got, number 11? Well, we're, we're, we're friends again. Uh, we'll go to Australia. <laughs> we'll go to a small town in the northeastern corner of Tasmania, if I remember my geography lesson. Home to three World Cup, T20 World Cup player of the matches. I didn't know that. Until the other day. Anyway, well, I digress. Let's talk about Ricky Ponting. Who were the other two? Uh, David Boone. Yeah. And James Faulkner. All one man of the match in a World Cup final. Good. All wasting from, wasting all, precious all seconds. From, yeah. All from Lollis's. We haven't started the timer yet, have we? <laughs> oh, we have. Oh, crap. I'll all right. 23 seconds. All right. Back on. Well, well, I'll hurry up. Okay. Well, Ricky Ponting, in a nutshell, 168 tests, 13,378 runs at an average of 51 Point eight five forty one test match hundreds and a highest score of two hundred and fifty seven over eighteen years he had four excellent uh, sorry two excellent four outstanding seasons and he had a Bradman so he averaged a hundred for a calendar year in two thousand and three look an early career bad boy uh, the famous bourbon and beefsteak incident in uh, in inner Sydney uh, he matured into a leader I think you might say. As, as his career progressed and, and ended up, I think, arguably the greatest modern batter that Australia has ever produced. 
That yeah, that um, it, it's funny because I want to actually start picking up by picking up on something uh, Binksy said earlier about Anderson, and and it was a you know, I said that you had to convince me it was a very convincing stat that when you look at it from twenty fourteen of Anderson or whatever it was that you you could just have a career uh, from that time. Ponting is very similar, I think, in that sense because. If, I think if you went from uh, to the end of 2006 is what I have here. He played 109 tests, scored 9,000 test runs at an average of just under 60. And he had 33 of those hundreds by then. Mm. And I think when you actually look at the stats, they get significantly downgraded by those last few years. And I remember that time because there was a lot of people saying, oh, he's got, you know, he's got to retire. And, and he resisted that for a long, long time. I mean... I don't know. I guess from an Australian point of view, Binksy, oh, or Baldy, you know, like, were you wanting him to step down? I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know of, how you feel. Lots of people did, and I was really conflicted over the sort of 2009 to 2012 era, and I had the same thought process as you when I was thinking about Ricky Ponting because I went and did his up to the end of every calendar year. If you have a look at Ricky Ponting to the end of 2010, he has 12,363 runs, still averaging 53 and a half going into the last two calendar years of his career with 39 of those 4,100s. So if you take out 2011 and 2012 completely, where he played another, what, 26, I think, innings somewhere around there, added another 1,000 runs in those 26 innings, his average dropped 1.8 or 1.7 points. So if he had retired at the end of 2010 with an average of 53.5, that's alongside Tendulkar in terms of overall average in, in, in his career. Obviously, Tendulkar made more runs, made more hundreds, etc. But yeah, his statistical legacy in 60 years, when people don't see Ricky Ponting and just look at that number, look at 51.8, won't actually get a full picture of just how great he was. And and. Tendulkar's the same. We'll talk about him in, in a little bit. When he averaged oh, is 57... He, on the list? he is on the list. Mm. When he averaged 57, 58 for most of his career and that dropped down to a meagre 54, you know, th- those those twilight years of, of, the, of these players' careers hurt their numbers from an overall statistics point of view. But you just got to go back to those, you know, 2003, 1,500 runs, 2005, 1,500 runs in a calendar year at 67 and 100, respectively. 2006, 1,300 runs at 88.8 with 700s. Those are some peak run-making years in the prime of his career. You know, it just doesn't get much better than that. In your intro, you actually also, you forgot to mention the the facial hair that he had when he first <laughs> burst onto the scene in the late 90s. It was very much criminal. Um, <laughs> the main thing I remember about Ricky Ponting is definitely his stroke making, the drives that he played. I remember we were talking about that first 2020 uh, that oh, was yeah, played. That, off and he, that one, but there was a drive straight down the ground that was just... Well, Martians would have loved it. And um, <laughs> obviously also the pull and hook. He, 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 he represents the pull and hook for me, I think. Um... I wanted to talk to you about him as a leader. So yeah. obviously he took over from Steve War era where the Australians were very, very successful and he continued that, made them, some may bet, some may say he made them, made them better while he, well, they were under his leadership. Some may not, I'm judging by the look <laughs> on your face, but what do you make of his leadership? Well, it's, a, it's two sides of a coin really, this, this Ricky Ponting leadership argument because he was, he was much criticised as a leader, Ricky Ponting. You know, first guy to lose two Ashes series. I think to England he lost three all in total. And he lost a series to India and he lost a series to South Africa under his reign as Australian captain. And when you add up those losses, 
It's a it's pretty bleak reading if if you like. He lost the two thousand and five Ashes. I think he lost oh nine Binksy if I remember correctly. Oh nine correctly. and then twenty ten eleven as well. So there you go. And he lost what twenty ten eleven was on Australian soil. Correct. Yeah. So good series that. There's so DVD available. So you know if you if you think about it, if you just look at that in isolation, that's not a very rosy picture of his leadership career. But let's have a look at it in its totality. In his first twenty series as captain, he went seventeen and three. In his first 20 series as captain, he was 21 draw and four losses in his first 25 series as captain, and then he lost his last two. So he ended up with a record of 20 wins, one draw, and six losses from his in terms of series. Overall record, 48 wins, 13 draws, 16 losses. So he won three times as many games as he lost um, as a captain. Um, to put that in perspective, that's 48 wins from 77 tests. Graham Smith is the only captain with more wins at the moment. I think my stats might be a bit old. Maybe Joe Root has a couple more. Uh, he has 53 wins, from, but from 109 tests. So, it, you know, those extra five wins took Graham Smith 32 more tests to get those extra five wins. So, I mean, he's been criticised for all sorts of things. Lack of imagination as captain, uh, wasn't an inspirational leader, etc., etc. But how much imagination does it take to give the ball to Warner McGrath? <laughs> We'll have heard the time ago from the background. We did um, eat into that with James Faulkner and uh, uh, <laughs> extra time on the someone clock. else. Um, Just go for it. Yeah, look, I'll, I'll keep it really short. I hated him until he retired, and then I kind of went, "This bloke was a cricketing god." And I think on the leadership thing, if I just weigh in, um, if I look at it from an outsider's perspective, and certainly someone who you know obviously puts the ashes with such high esteem, I can see why his leadership is pilloried. What surprises me is that his record and his um, legacy as a leader isn't better given how good his cricket brain is. I could listen to him talk all day when he's on the big bash. I'm just like, Mark Howard, would you please just be quiet and let him talk for the whole three hours? Um, That's no disrespect to Mark Howard. It's just that, you know, how well he talks about everything, how well he distills um, the game. Um, Listen to the podcast he did with Mark Howard. He's, you know, two-part career. um, And, you know, he's kind of ethos on cricket. He's just honestly, top 10 Binksy barbecue guests ever, Ricky Ponting. And and I think just picking up on that, it, it's the it, the talent that he had, it, you know, you're not going to mention, or you haven't mentioned his fielding. Uh, one of the, you know, one of the best fielders best fielder I, ever. I think I've ever seen. Yeah, absolutely. And and even ridiculous as it is, an, an incredibly skilled bowler. And I know he didn't obviously bowl that much in, in international cricket, I remember, you know, ridiculous story, but it bowled, uh, I bowled to the Australians and net bowler. They absolutely took me apart. Justin Langer hit me for the most enormous sixes I've ever seen in my life. But then uh, Ricky Ponting got the ball. I threw him the ball. He ran in, bowled one ball, pitched it on middle stump to Brad Hodge, hit the top of off, put his arm up in the air and just walked away. And I was like, okay, there's like... How could this guy is just too talented? It's yeah, unbelievable. There stuff. is, a, I think, there's a, a, a don't want to promote Cricket Australia YouTube channel too heavily because they're not affiliated with the podcast. But there, I think there is a like a four minute video just of like Ricky Ponting hitting stumps. Yes, in runner, it's just incredible, and he hits the stumps from everywhere on the field, anywhere in that inner circle. Any any patch of that thirty yard circle, he has hit the stumps from that in an international game. It's just an incredible field. Well, the six minutes is up, so jump onto the Patreon for the extra content, <laughs> Baldy. Um, 
But for his facial hair, a top 10 player, Ricky Thomas-Ponting. But that does end this episode of the Top Order Podcast Cricketing Hall of Fame. We're clocking under 40 minutes. Value for money in anyone's book. Uh, we hope you join us on the next instalment where, if my maths is correct, we get into the top 10, don't we? Stay tuned. Stay <laughs> tuned.